Hi there, I'm Leslie Dolphin. Now, you may not realise that it's a big year for the organisation which sees itself as the voice of business in Suffolk. Established in 1884, the Suffolk Chamber of Commerce is, and you'll know this if you've already quickly done your sums, 140 years old this year. It's a moment which will be celebrated with a special project called C140. So for the latest podcast from Suffolk Money, supported by Kingsfleet, my colleague Colin Lowe has been chatting with two members of the Chamber team, Paul Simon, its Head of Public Affairs, and Molly Williams, who's Project Officer for C140. Paul began by explaining more about the Chambers of Commerce and what they do. In essence, they are organisations that seek to speak for a local business community, to provide services and support, and to engage with government, both locally and nationally, to ensure that those bodies understand the current and the future needs of businesses. And I think, I think crucially, we are a not-for-profit organisation. We're actually owned by our members. Um, in, in effect, therefore, we're a social enterprise. Mm. Um, and that gives us, I think, a great deal of heft in terms of being able to go to MPs, to ministers, to council leaders and say, because of the sheer number of local businesses who are members, and in fact, more broadly, the number of Suffolk businesses that we engage with, some of whom are not members, we have very much our finger on the pulse Mm. on what the business community is doing Mm. and hopes to do in the future. So, um, Molly, you've obviously been looking into the background of all of these. Yes. Are they of a specific era? Did they begin in a certain time? Where they, did it sort of sweep across the country? Um, so they actually started uh, in, well, it wasn't the United States then, but in America, I think the first chamber is in the late 18th century. So that's the first English-speaking chamber. Mm. Um, and then they kind of migrate over to the United Kingdom. I think the first in the United Kingdom is actually in Belfast and in Edinburgh. So they're sort of a more northern enterprise at mm. first. And then gradually over the course of the 18th and 19th century, more and more chambers of commerce pop up in major towns and cities, largely those that are importing and exporting and are big on industry. Um, So Glasgow is a big one um, amongst the first, and I think it counts itself as one of the oldest in the country. Um, And then the first chamber in Suffolk um, opened, we opened in 1884, Um, So really with that wave of the Industrial Revolution, um, it was a a group of industrialists and manufacturers that got together and and set up the Chamber of Commerce. Um, And a big part of that, as I said, was the Industrial Revolution, but it was also the fact that we have a a dock. um, And in, I think it's about 1842, it is converted into a wet dock. So trade can suddenly, trade had been going on in Ipswich for a thousand years, but it could be more constant. It could Mm. take bigger cargo, bigger ships, more trading, more import, export. And you have this group of of businessmen and industrialists who kind of go, we need something that represents the voice of business um, and that can, a lot of the, the original purpose was lobbying to government so that there was a voice for business, which is still true today. Mm. Um, but also there were other purposes like arbitration between businesses and it, it, it helped to resolve disputes. Mm. So there were sort of purposes that aren't as, as big anymore, but mm. There, it was. It kind of just became, as we are today, the voice of business. In, in and that's in the phrase you use. 
the voice of business is an important... Yes, it is, because that, I think, um, demonstrates the representational role we have. Mm. Um, however, I think it does have limitations, because it, mm. it, it somewhat underscores the sheer breadth mm. of what a, a modern chamber, like Suffolk Chamber, actually does. Mm. Um, and that's everything from our export docs team, uh, who provide a service not only for members, but for businesses uh, across the county, and indeed more widely as well across the region and, and basically account for about half a billion pounds worth of successfully exported mm. goods. So making a considerable contribution to sustainable prosperity. We are in some cases, I think, best known for our networking uh, services and we certainly have a very full calendar this year as, as with previous years of those kinds of events. But increasingly, we find ourselves, given the Suffolk model of collaboration, which is not replicated elsewhere, between the business community and the public sector, we, we find ourselves getting involved in what I would call the product development end of uh, uh, lobbying, i.e. when we secure funding, frequently work with local councils to be the go-between between them, their ambitions, and the business community. Mm. It's interesting you've just mentioned councils because I'm sure many people who are listening would assume, oh, it's business driven, it's all about making money, it's not really about caring about the people of Suffolk. What, what, how would you respond to that between the two of you? How do you, do you, do you see that? Is that image still something that people believe? I think less, less so. I mean, Molly will be very able to 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 articulate the sort of uh, the longitudinal view, but I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, Suffolk has a rich history of civic businesses, businesses that see their role beyond merely returning value back to shareholders, um, with no particular thought to uh, the local communities from which they draw their labour force, uh, to the environment, and, and more broadly to the reputation of the council. Mm. So I've always been impressed, and I've now been here eight years, with that m much more um, multi-dimensional view that business people have of themselves. They are civic leaders. Uh, many of them run civic businesses. They give back an awful lot, mm. uh, both in terms of donations, in terms of free time, um, but also in terms of their expertise and their willingness to work mm. with the VCSE sector, with the public sector. Sorry, VCSE, I'll have um, to ask you about that. The, um, in effect, social enterprises. Right, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of charities and, and, and mm. similar organisations who are not-for-profit, rather yeah. as we are. Yeah. Um, and I think it's that kind of collegiate sense of a common purpose mm. that um, makes Suffolk quite different, I think, mm. maybe to some other uh, local business communities. Molly, I don't know mm. whether you, you, you'd agree with that in the wider... Yeah, I think that's something that's sort of come up with the sort of the project's been focusing on the chamber's history, but also as Paul has picked up on, we are a member organisation, so the history of our member businesses as well and other Suffolk businesses. And there's there's some lovely stories that kind of come up that really show that sort of civic mindfulness that that, that is I think it's not new to business, I think it's always been there, but often kind of gets forgotten. Mm. Um, one of the lovely sort of earlier stories um, that I didn't really know much about before coming into the project was about Suffolk Building Society, which was founded in Ipswich in about 1849. Um, and they essentially set themselves up to enable people who to own land so that they could vote. So so that, you know, that that whole business is set up around mm. 
enfranchising people. Mm. So it's, um, and there, there are similar stories throughout our history, throughout business history in the region that sort of reflect that. Um, in the Second World War, um, the Chamber of Commerce in Bury St Edmunds uh, ran parties for evacuee children who had been evacuated from London, which had no purpose other than supporting mothers and children who were you know, caught up in, in the war. So there are some lovely stories that have come out and hopefully will come out in the, in the project to mm. um, come, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll come back. We'll yeah. get into that in a bit more yeah. detail. But no, it's amazing how... Mm. And, and I think that's a really important point that so often people do just assume business is focused on profit. But mm. part of profitability is the benefit that you bring to the society and community yeah. around you, isn't it? So, Paul, how many businesses are connected with the Chamber? Well, in terms of straight membership, um, we account for about a third of the total workforce of Suffolk is employed by organisations who are formerly members of the Chamber. Um, And that might at first glance seem a little low, but if you reflect just how um, diverse the business community is with a very, very, very long but very mm. dynamic tail of quite small businesses mm. who employ less than nine. Mm. Um, that, that's quite a, um, a, a strong representational presence. But we have a much broader relationship with other businesses as well. So I think, I think the key thing to remember is whilst we're owned by our members, the role that we have isn't just confined to improving their trading opportunities and their wider social and environmental ambitions. We sort of work with well, virtually any business uh, or any organisation, more strictly speaking, that is domiciled in Suffolk mm. or, or wishes to be mm. based in Suffolk. Uh, and, that, and that means we get involved in um, quite an extraordinary range of projects which unite that diverse group of organisations. So many of your listeners will doubtless be aware of some of our lobbying in terms of improving infrastructure. Um, At the moment, particularly East-West Rail, Mm. uh, 5G, EV charging, and although it's rather old school, some unfinished business in terms of our road network, which Mm. is clearly not fit for purpose. Mm. And it's a drag not just on local business growth, but on national business growth as well. But our role there is not just to work with our members. It's it's much more broadly than that. And I think we are recognised because of our rootedness in place and because, as Molly has said a number of times, our our heritage of being relevant Mm. to the business community over 140 Mm. years. I think we are one of those um, chambers, probably nationally, that is most recognised, is seen very much as a powerhouse of ideas and, and whilst it might seem a slightly arcane league table to reference, you know, we are one of the largest chambers of commerce in the British Chambers of Commerce network of 53 accredited chambers. Mm-hmm. Why does that matter? That means that we actually have much more of a national voice than probably um, Suffolk always manages to achieve in other avenues. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point because, I mean, the reason why this podcast exists is to talk to businesses and community groups and charities that make up Suffolk. And there just has always felt to me that there is a collaborative sense within Suffolk. Yes, of course, businesses compete in certain areas, but actually I think most see the bigger picture, that actually if the county grows, everyone benefits. Mm -hmm. 
And um, yeah, certainly when it comes to road and rail links, then it's not just businesses that use those, is it? It's the people of Suffolk, the commuter, the, um, the tourist who, who has access to all of those facilities too. And, and, and there is certainly an ongoing challenge given the sheer number of really successful, really innovative businesses, whether they're in sectors that have been around for hundreds of years or whether they are sunrise sectors that are, are, um, have grown considerably in the last 10 mm. or so. And I think one of the challenges for Brand Suffolk is to explain its absolutely vital contribution not just to local sustainable prosperity, but to the national economy as well. Mm. And certainly as a chamber, um, our lobbying work, our public affairs work, has pivoted significantly in the last decade or so mm. to focusing still, to an extent, on we deserve a fair share of government funding um, because of what we are and, mm. and, and what we do well as a county, but because of our strengths in renewables, in logistics, in agritech, that actually give Suffolk businesses the tools to do the job mm -hmm. and we will make a major sustainable contribution to the national prosperity. So our focus increasingly with government is don't ignore Suffolk, not just for Suffolk's benefit, but for the benefit of the North and the Midlands mm -hmm. and other parts of the United Kingdom. Has, has Suffolk been seen as a business backwater for for many years is it generally regarded as you have the southeast which is where all the finance stuff goes and it's always very prosperous and then you have the um you know metal beating midlands and then you go further north and construction and so on that's that, uh, of big projects um but is, is Suffolk, uh, east anglia perhaps as a whole generally just been disregarded you know leveling up is an example where just you know, none of us perhaps see anything that's happening in I this think, regard. Yeah, I think there are definitely blind spots within government, and I think particularly at a Whitehall as opposed to a Westminster level. One of our ongoing challenges, and one of the challenges of our neighbouring chambers, is to articulate to civil servants uh, who have very much fixed ideas um, that they know Suffolk, if, mm. if, if they recognise it at all. And Suffolk is uh, usually dismissed as a rather prosperous uh, rural backwater and one of the challenges of the chamber here and others is to say well certainly the land-based economy is very important and it will continue to be so but actually we're much more diverse than that we're much more dynamic than that and given the need for better infrastructure support mm -hmm. given the need for a, a more secure skills pipeline mm -hmm. for businesses that businesses will do the rest they really mm -hmm. will yeah um, we're, we're not we're not a, a business culture that looks for government handouts for the sake of it, but the role of government is to actually provide the infrastructure within which businesses can sustainably grow, mm -hmm. train up their staff, attracting what investment from other parts of the country and beyond. So it's, it's a constant headwind that we're up against, but it's one that the Chamber will never stop mm. pushing against because we know how dynamic, how exciting the business community is here. It's doing a great job. It just needs to be better recognising government. Mm. And, and I, I would hope that C140 can, can contribute towards that because I think mm. as I've come into the project and, and the more you kind of look into the history of the Chamber and of business in Suffolk, you begin to question why that, that is even the thought that, 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 that is there in the first place because the stories are dynamic. There has always been this sort of innovation that's gone on for the last 140 years that we've looked back on. But, but going back further... 
I mean, East Anglia historically had a very big wool trade and it was very, very prosperous and very wealthy um, going back pre-industrial revolution. So it's sort of from a historic perspective, it's kind of it's odd that Suffolk has this reputation now. Um, and hopefully the stories that will emerge from C140 will really highlight that Suffolk is a place of, of dynamic business and it is a, a centre of innovation as well. And, and of course, you know, um, building on, on, on the great work that Molly and her team are doing this year, we are within 10 months of a general election and we are using that as an opportunity to engage not just with our MPs, with whom we all have a you know a very good strong relationship, but with parliamentary candidates from other parties, um, from ministers and shadow ministers who suddenly are beginning to listen and beginning to engage. <laughs> Sounds cynical. No, we um, to leverage those opportunities. Absolutely, we? but if, if if the national political class mm. are beginning to uh, focus once again on, on on Suffolk ahead of the general election, we've got the messages and the evidence to justify those messages and those asks. So mm. we are relentless, Colin, um, but in a very <laughs> Suffolk way. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, of course. No, absolutely right. And has it always been like this, Molly? I mean, obviously, as you've looked back over the history over the last 140 years, has Suffolk always just just got on with it? Or how's it look when you look through the archives? It, it's hard to sort of see the kind of relationships between the chamber and central government at points because it's not necessarily always the focus historically of the chamber. I think the chamber originally, it's a bit more inward looking to Suffolk mm -hmm. and is is serving the businesses. So in, in Ipswich in 1884, it's the, the Ipswich Chamber of Commerce that is serving the local business community. So it's, it's a little bit more kind of inward looking. But nevertheless, I think it sees it, it wouldn't have come into existence without a recognition of the significance of Suffolk to the national economy, but also to the people of Suffolk and, and the community it serves. Um, so it was the Ipswich Dock Commission who um, are now, that their operations now run by ABP, so Associated British Ports at Ipswich, um, and at Lowestoft. And they came together and basically said that we need to form a Chamber of Commerce in order to preserve trade routes into Ipswich because there was competition with other ports along, along the coast. So there was certainly a recognition at its founding that Suffolk had something important and it needed to preserve that and the businesses on the docks who were predominantly sort of those founding members, um, so Ransom Sims and Jeffries, Ransoms and Rapier, um, R&W Pools, which is the building that still exists on the waterfront, they were all sort of that founding membership. They recognised something in Suffolk that I think went beyond their own business interests and were invested in their community and in Suffolk as a place for business and for innovation for and, and for a voice that should be heard and listened to. So I think it's always been there. Um, and again, you have sort of more, Ipswich isn't the only Chamber of Commerce. So in 1909, Barry St Edmunds established a Chamber of Commerce, which is now part of the Suffolk Chamber. And again, in 1923 in Lowestoft. And again, they sort of form out of a need to recognise that these communities, their voice needs to be heard and that there is something... It, you know, there's power in unity and there is more than simply serving the individual interests of business. It's about serving a wider purpose of supporting Suffolk on a, on a, on a bigger scale. So I think it's always been there. I, I just think, yeah, it, yeah, it's always been there. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It sounds like very much the focus has been 
that um, actually we work better if we can work mm. together. Yeah. And maybe we'll just carry on doing that. And even if we're ignored by others, mm. it's beneficial for all of us if we carry on working. Definitely. And I, I think there's always, it's interesting because you can sort of see how chambers, the chambers historically have worked in, in different ways and not just getting uh, government to listen, but in very St Edmunds, for example, in the 1930s, their focus isn't really on government at all. It's actually on tourism and building Bury St Edmunds and expanding Bury St Edmunds, partly to support the, the, the expansion of business. So, for example, British Sugar sets up in, in the 1920s, 1930s in Bury, and they become quickly become part of the chamber. And I think part of, of they're trying to attract labour as well and workforce but also there is a big call for tourism into the area and celebrating Suffolk on a national map purely from a tourism perspective mm. um, so there is a record in, at some point in the 1930s that they, they decided to set up a committee for tourism and they put um, pamphlets for Bury St Edmunds, the Chamber of Commerce put pamphlets for Bury St Edmunds on an Atlantic liner to America to attract yeah. people from America to it's come a, to Bury St Edmunds. Yeah, and uh, they're very, they, they have sort of established this logo in the 1940s that essentially, I've, I don't think Ipswich would be pleased, but Bury <laughs> puts itself at the centre of the map of East Anglia and calls itself the hub of East Anglia. And I don't see that as, as talking to government or lobbying. I see that as people who were really invested in their community, really invested in Bury as a place and wanted to put it on a map for, for people to come and enjoy and to see. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's there are lots of different things that go on across that 140 years that you kind of go, oh, that's, that's quite cool. Yeah, you know, They yeah. really felt that they were of significance and, and they worked hard to, to prove that. And I think that's, yeah, it's, it's a really fantastic story. And it's quite interesting mm. how we are trying to manage that understandable, if I call it tension, mm. I think it is a tension, a creative mm. tension between a Suffolk-wide view mm. of key issues mm. and those hyper-local ones. So as Suffolk Chamber has emerged through um, acquisition and putting together all these very, very important, very strongly independently uh, focused town yeah. and borough chambers, including, don't forget, in Lowestoft yes, as well. Yeah. What we've striven to try and do is maintain that grassroots voice. So the way we're structured, and there's nothing more boring, I know, Colin, than, than you know, discussing your own internal government. <laughs> but, we, we, but we have recognised that, and therefore we have still preserved yeah. four area forums, mm. West Suffolk, Central Suffolk, mm. Ipswich and East Suffolk, to mm. ensure that the nuances... Uh, at, at a sub-county level in mm. terms of priorities or even, dare I say, sort of business cultures mm. Mm. are recognised, are represented, are understood mm. as well as the bigger Suffolk wide view. Mm. Mm. And certainly I've gone along to some central Suffolk meetings with our, our office in Claydon and, yeah, it, it, all the conversations are all about things like planning and um, yes. you know, green activities and so on all around that area and, and it does facilitate that local conversation while still thinking of Suffolk as a whole so I think it works extremely well. I think, I think one of the key challenges is not to be too focused on administrative boundaries. Mm. The tyranny of geography cannot actually, you know, whether you're a business, uh, whether you're a charity, can actually limit your um, your, your scale of operation mm. and your scale of ambition mm. and I think one of the the requirements for the East to be more 
seriously taken by mm. government mm. and dare I say by businesses from outside the UK is our ability to scale up and down, to be able mm. to talk with authority about what goes on in Bury or what goes on in Hadley or what goes on in yeah. Framlingham, yeah. but then to scale it up with evidence as to the situation mm. across the mm. county and mm. indeed across mm. the region. So I think it's about being agile. Businesses are agile and you know, we as a chamber try and be as agile as possible with the scale of conversations mm. and engagements we have. Mm. How, how did everything develop then, Molly? Uh, we're talking about agility and how things yeah. grew. and So it started in Ipswich yeah. 140 years ago, yeah. hence yeah. the C140. Yeah. Chamber 140, I'm assuming. Yes. That's yeah. what the C stands for, yeah. not around 140. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then did it just sort of mushroom out from there? Did, how did it grow? I think they very much started as separate organisations. Right. They interact with each other over the years, but they're very much the, the sort of three chambers we focused on in the project, and there are others, but the three we focused on in Ipswich, Bury and Lowestoft, they established themselves quite separately. Mm. Um, and it's only sort of towards the 1980s, 1990s that I think there becomes a recognition that in order to get Suffolk heard on a, on a national scale, as we've discussed, it was better to unify those voices to, to speak on, a, on that sort of national level. Mm. Um, but as Paul has pointed out, that you know, the chamber, we've still got that sort of breakdown mm. by geography as well. Mm. Um, but those chambers have all sort of become part of the Suffolk Chamber, which happened sort of later 20th century. Yeah. But they were all originally individual. Um, but they, there is lots of interactions between them because they're working on joint issues. In the 1970s, Bury and Ipswich sort of worked together and talked to each other about developments of what was then the A45 and is now the A14. Yes. Um, Lowestoft and Ipswich often talked a lot about the ports and, and various regulations around that. So there's always talk between them, but I think it's only sort of later 20th century when it really comes together. Yeah, and some of that might just be down to road networks exactly. and so on. That, exactly, you know, If you're a business in Lowestoft, you're, you don't really want to have to drive no. down to Ipswich back then. No. You may still not want to now, but um, and certainly between Ipswich and Bury St Edmunds, uh, that mm. route is better now, but perhaps yeah. then it was still a long trek. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think that's something that as volunteers, myself and, and my colleague Alma have been working through the project, you do have to put yourself into that historic mindset with a lot of the, the, the earlier research especially because they don't have the network that we have today. They don't have that connection. And actually, I think a really important and fundamental role of the chamber back then was to be that network. Mm. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have a telephone. So you needed that sort of central meet point mm. in order for these negotiations to, to, to go ahead and for people to talk about things like, for example, the post network and, and mail, which was a huge focus of the chamber in the early years because it was so fundamental to business but it also served a wider community as well. So they're, they're sort of, yeah, it's... it's, um, it's almost that it's sort of coming around again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Same, and and I think topics. that was sort of part of the reason the project was launched, was there was an interest in, you know, are the issues of 1884, are they still relevant today? And it's surprising how many there mm. are that still, you might have to change what it is, so the internet and mail, but even then mail is still incredibly relevant and incredibly important to business. So there is an overlap and there's, it's, it's interesting as you go through the history that these sort of frustrations that come up with rail and road are still frustrations that are there today. Um, in different forms, but but the chamber has been there dealing with them on behalf of business and on behalf of Suffolk mm. for 140 years. So, 
So what, tell us a bit more about the project itself mm. and how that's going to develop during the course of this year. Yeah, so the, um, we've been running the project, I think, from the end of 2022. I came in with my colleague Elmer in May um, and we are part funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. So part of the project is, um, and what Elmer's focus of the project is, is about celebrating stories around diversity. So that's stories about women in business and stories particularly focused on migrant economy, um, as well as celebrating the diverse array of business in the Suffolk economy as well. Um, and so that's, that's sort of what has really pushed the project forward over the last six, seven months. And that's a big part of, of, of what we will be looking at. Um, in mid-April, we'll be launching an exhibition at the Hold in Ipswich, which is the archive centre on the waterfront. Um, and that will be there for two weeks, to, which will showcase a kind of timeline of Suffolk business over the last 140 years. It will pick up on our member stories and on stories, as I've said, around diversity, which is a really important part of the project. Um, and we'll also be launching a website and online content which will give an even broader reach. So there's been so many stories we've gathered, um, far too many to, that uh, the physical exhibition can capture. So we'll be launching that on our website so that people can go and have a look in their own time about the, the amazing stories that have come out through the research. So what are the big things on the agenda for the Chamber right now? What are the issues in Suffolk? And uh, you might want to sort of think about this Molly, from a historical perspective, mm. what were the issues compared mm. to what are they now? Well, I think with the general election, as I, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there, there, there's a real focus on persuading Suffolk's case to existing ministers and, 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 and to shadow ministers. So we are amplifying the voice of Suffolk. We are down in the Houses of Parliament, probably more than is healthy um, for, uh, for ourselves, but that's good. We're getting uh, a lot of time with, with ministers generally and shadow ministers generally, but also on specific issues. So our big lobbying asks remain very much those of give us a decent rail network. Uh, East-West Rail and investment into Ely and Hawley. We had some prospective good news at the end of last year through the autumn statement. We are still pushing, pushing very hard to the Treasury to release the funds to allow Network Rail to begin to do um, the work that they can um, so effectively do to unblock those two junctions. We are still uh, lobbying for a sub-regional road solution mm -hmm. to... Um, problems across the A14 in Suffolk, the very sort of pinch points, to concerns about the Orwell Bridge. Um, and I think our role as a chamber, and I'd be really interested in, in, in Molly's thoughts on this, and you have touched on it, to try and overcome a, 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 a substrata of, I think, quite divisive uh, rhetoric, which pitches Ipswich against the rest mm -hmm. of, of Suffolk. Um, so uh, transport solutions... Um, require a sub-regional view. Mm -hmm. It requires a sense in which Ipswich needs Suffolk and Suffolk needs Ipswich. The two cannot operate mm -hmm. separately. There are different priorities, but overall I think there are very much shared concerns. Mm -hmm. So I think that's certainly true in terms of a sub-regional roads solution. Um, certainly in terms of infrastructure, and I was very interested uh, in terms of uh, digital infrastructure, mm. your comments about the, um, the post office. Mm. And obviously at the moment we are, um, as a chamber, focusing on convening, bringing together local councils, mobile operators, 
planning authorities, landowners, etc., to really take a much more strategic mm. and thoughtful view in mm. terms of the rollout of a necessary digital infrastructure, particularly in rural areas, mm. but also in our towns as well, because potentially. 5G could be a game changer mm. uh, since it facilitates the Internet of Things, mm. since it allows a much more effective way of delivering R&D, of asset management, of driving out sort of productivity from businesses across all sectors. And we've pulled this uh, organisation together with some funding from the Suffolk Public Sector Leaders Group to ensure that Suffolk this time around is at the head of the queue nationally. Mm. We're, we're not sort of trying to catch mm. up, which I think sometimes we as a county have found ourselves. Mm. So I think that we feel quite optimistic. We feel very optimistic, Colin, about the future generally for Suffolk. Mm. We are very diverse. We are not reliant on one or two sectors. So we're quite robust in terms of economic cycle variations mm. and structural shifts. But our, our focus this year very much is in terms of making sure Suffolk is at the head of the queue, in terms of government initiatives mm. and key private sector infrastructure investment. I think it's interesting because you can sort of transplant the kind of focus and really see it in the past in, in, in its various sort of forms. But I mean, historically, for example, the, tra the tr sort of rail links have always been a very big focus. Um, and in, 19, in the 1960s, um, there was a report book put out, the Beeching Report, which essentially said they were going to shut the East Suffolk line. And Ipswich and Lowestoft worked together on that to prevent the East Suffolk line being shut. There were a few stations, I think Aldborough is closed, but they campaigned and led the campaign to successfully preserve the Ipswich to Lowestoft link, which still exists today. So the, the chamber has lobbied historically and been successful historically. Again, the A14 has always been um, a lobbying point. I think it's in, in Bury St Edmunds that they really pushed for it to become a dual carriageway, which it successfully does, and the Chamber is very supportive of that. So those sorts of concerns around connectivity and infrastructure, they are historic and, and they continue today, as, as Paul points out. Um, and I think what's interesting in, t in terms of the technology is is that again it's in its various forms always been important there's recognition in in the 1930s of phone lines and lowest off tracks mm the businesses in the community that have access to telephone usage. Mm. And there's sort of little notes, it's a sub note in the, in the minute meetings of X amount, there's the X amount of phones per person in Lowestoft. So there is always that focus on technology in that sort of more primitive form, say, of telephone usage, but right through. And again, with the tele, tele, when telegrams come in, um, there's notes that they circulate to members how to use telegrams. So that, you know, technology in all its forms has always been a big part of what the chamber recognises as being important to business development and, and getting Suffolk you know, up and, and, and running, so yeah. Well, thank you both for your time. It's been wonderful both to hear about the thank current you. work of the Chamber, but Molly, so too, about the history and yeah. the fascination of working mm. through lots of old minutes. No yeah, lots of, lots of old minutes, but a lot of, a lot of good old photography as well. So that's, that's yeah. Been... So how can people just watch out for information on C140? How's it going to be promoted? So we have a dedicated page on the Suffolk Chamber website at the moment, C140, and you can find out more information there um, and we'll be launching a sort of wider dedicated page with a more um, 
immersive timeline of the history that we've uncovered during the project um, and we'll also be at the hold from mid-April to the beginning of May with a, a physical exhibition that people can go and view. Fantastic, well I for one will certainly be wanting to see that so uh, thank you both so much for your time thank you. and uh, yeah good, good, good luck and all the best <laughs> um, you. as you carry out this amazing uh, piece of work and research and uh, thank you Paul again for having us to find out something more about the chamber. My absolute pleasure. Simon and Molly Williams there talking to Colin Lane and as Molly mentioned you can find out more about the chamber and that C140 project by visiting their website suffolkchamber.co.uk now spring's a great time for new thinking and new ideas so if you're aware of a business or an individual who's doing something different we would love to hear from you you can get in touch via our website suffolkmoney.co.uk and while you're there you can also subscribe to the podcast we'd really appreciate that thanks as always to the podcast team joy sally and kevin and of course thank you to you for listening until the next time from me leslie dolphin bye